We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Another episode here of Setting the Pace. I am your host, Alex Golden. Once again, no Michael J. Fachi. Fachi is out and about enjoying life, but have no fear. The show must go on. We have Jake Query from Query and Company, the midday show over at 93.5 and 107.5. The fan joining us today to give us a little bit of a 2023-2024 Pacers season preview, talking about Ben Mather and Tyrese Halliburton, Miles Turner, Obi Top, and Bruce Brown, Andrew Nimard, Aaron Neesmith. Mostly those guys and a little bit of Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Smith conversation. So I think you guys are going to really enjoy that. And I think that Jake gave a different perspective than maybe you've heard recently on this show. So I think just hearing the way he kind of compares things to prior Pacer teams and things like that, you're going to enjoy that. But wanted to do some housekeeping here because if you haven't noticed already on social media, I did share on my Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA that we are partnering with Ripple Bagel and Deli down in Broad Ripple, which was established in 2003. They have great sandwiches, and they use a bagel to make all of their sandwiches, and they have uh, a variety of bagels and a variety of sandwiches. Their chalkboard is so full. They have fan creation sandwiches as well, like a sandwich of the week. So be on the lookout for that. But we are in the process of making our own sandwich called the Setting the Pace. I pretty much come up with what I want to put on it, but I don't want to share those details yet until our, our sandwich is the featured sandwich of the week. But if you guys have ever been to Ripple Deli, starting in a couple of weeks, if you let them know that, you heard about Ripple Deli on Setting the Pace. They'll have something for you there. So a really cool partnership that we've uh, we've created here with Todd at, at Ripple Deli, and we're excited about that. But in addition to that, I don't know if you guys saw it or not today, but at Pacers practice, Al Jefferson in the building. Al Jefferson was a two-time guest on Setting the Pace over the last five years we've done it. And on the last time he came on, he talked about wanting to be a coach. And so I thought that was a really cool thing to see him there, just an observer 
hanging out with the guys. And we know Kevin Pritchard really values Al Jefferson. As he said, I got to find the Al Jefferson for this locker room a couple of years ago at a, at a media session. So Al Jefferson, beloved Pacer, even though his tenure was not super long here, just a really good guy. And I think um, if you want to go back and listen to that episode that we did with Al, I encourage it. It was about two years ago, but Al, just a really cool guy. Cool to see him in the building. And then I want to go back to Tuesday night's game. The Pacers played the Rockets on the road. You might have remembered uh, the second or third play into the game. Dylan Brooks gets ejected for hitting Tice in the groin area. And NBA Communications did put out that he was fined $25,000 for recklessly making contact with Daniel Tice in the groin area. So Joe Dumars was the one that handed out that fine. So unfortunately, Dylan Brooks, $25,000 lighter in his pocket after doing that. But preseason games, I guess they cost you if you're not careful. So um, rightfully so. I mean, Dylan Brooks has a history of dirty play, so does not surprise me that he was penalized for that. But with that being said, I want to thank you all so much for supporting this podcast and for all the recent five-star rating and reviews that we got. We got about 10 or 12 over the weekend, so that was super cool. Now we are officially over 300 on the ratings and review. But if you haven't done it yet and you'd like to do that, that'd be great. We're excited. Pacers Fan Jam is this upcoming Saturday as well. So if you're there, I'll be in the building. Let me know if you see me. Take a picture, whatever you want to do. Say hi. I might even be doing some trivia while I'm there. Maybe, maybe not for, for some social media stuff. So if you're interested in just saying, hey, whatever, if you're a listener of the show, would love to meet you. Always appreciate all of our, our supporters of this podcast and of my work at the Blue and Golden. But let's go ahead and take a quick break. When we come back, we will have that conversation for you with Jake Wary. Hey, Pacer fans, Alex Golden here. I wanted to let you know about my new blog, The Blue and Golden. If you enjoy reading articles about the Pacers, then subscribe to my Substack, which is 100% free. You can find the blog at theblueandgolden.substack.com, or you can follow the link in the description of this podcast. If you enjoy what you're reading on The Blue and Golden, please share the blog with your family and friends. Thanks for your support of not only this podcast, but my written work that can only be found on theblueandgolden.substack.com. Now, let's get back to the show. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones 
who get it done. Joining us now on Setting the Pace, it is Jay Query from Query and Company on 107.5 The Fan. Jake, what's going on, man? Not a lot, Alex. How are you? It's good to be with you today, and um, hard to believe we're right back into basketball season, so uh, my anticipation is we'll probably be talking a lot more with you here about the Pacers upcoming in the next couple months. Yeah, man, I'm excited for it. I think the Pacers have a pretty interesting squad this year, and as they continue to try to grow this young team, the playoffs probably are, are the hopes for a lot of fans and for the players specifically. The front office has not really committed to that yet, but I do think that this team is ready to maybe take that leap into the playoffs, and with all the moves they made this summer and the and the team they brought back and, and just the year they had last year, are you kind of feeling the same way about your expectations for them? I do. I, I think that this time a year ago, you know, we clearly were looking at what we knew was going to be a rebuild, right? Mm. And, you know, not unlike, I think probably it's interesting in this market with two teams right now between the Pacers and the Colts, you kind of have similar situations in the fact that both of them were starting from scratch. And, and you know, for the Colts, it's early with Anthony Richardson and his health. but you know, you, you feel like both of them are probably a little ahead of schedule. I thought a year ago the Pacers were kind of that because, you know, they went through that stretch, Alex, as you and I talked about, where, you know, they played really well. There, They had a couple of months where they were playing really well. I think Benedict Matherin kind of hit the wall a little bit, um, and you anticipate that. But, I mean, you know, there were games where he was scoring at a really high clip and then other games where, you know, he'd go out and have six or eight points. And, and you're going to have that as a rookie. I think they're really anticipating – this year that he kind of takes that next step in terms of consistency and, and getting a more balanced night in and night out scoring performance. But they, they seem to me, in my opinion, Alex, like they're pretty deep. And that's not necessarily to say that, you know, they've got a third string unit that can go out and, and you know, play with starters kind of thing. But there doesn't seem to be at most positions a huge drop off from starter to number two or number three guys. So, um a couple of areas where probably they'd like to find out where they are. I would think that the center position outside of Miles Turner would be one of those. There are some players that this is probably a make or break year in terms of whether or not they're a guy you long-term ride with. I mean, Stick Smith comes to mind, Jalen Smith. Um, Isaiah Jackson comes to mind. So there are a lot of intriguing storylines, but I do think it's a year that they take a step forward and you know probably start to look towards, in fact, getting themselves back into the playoffs and then building on something where they can get a playoff series win moving forward from that. I think the playoffs is just going to be a good experience for this young team because outside of a few of the players, they really have not been in playoff moments and, and got to experience what that's like and how you go against a team in a seven-game series and all the adjustments you have to make. And Ben Matherin, that's a guy you just brought up. I mean, he came on this podcast and talked about, number one, He's like, the first month I was feeling really good. He said, but that 82-game season is a long season, and it really yeah. does wear on you. He's like, I came out with a bunch of energy, super excited, but, man, there's just the wear and tear of playing so much. It was a lot more than he expected. And then number two, he said the scouting report is a real thing because he would not reveal some of the new stuff he had been working on because he didn't want to give it away for somebody that could be listening to the pod. But when it comes to scouting report and just the, the length of the season, I do think that did play a factor into it. But when you hear different people talk about Ben Mather, and they seem pretty confident in that in his ability to become a good two-way player in this league. But from what you've seen from him and what you've heard, what makes him different in terms of being able to take that next step? Okay, it's a great question. And this is just my observation. But I watched a lot of games last year. And a lot of times I would watch him. 
And where I would watch him a lot of times, Alex, was not on the floor, but rather in tight situations when he'd come off the floor. And I would watch, you know, a lot of guys, you can tell, their, their mind's kind of wandering during timeouts. You look at them and they're, they're looking at up in the stands or they're watching what's going on on the floor. They're kind of checked out a little bit. Um, Benedict Matherin seemed to constantly have the same focus. And I remember one time uh, sending a tweet that just said, like, he knows he's that guy. There are certain guys, you know, I remember in the Reggie Miller 30 for 30 winning time. And Ahmad Rashad was talking about, like, you know, look, you go play pickup ball. There's always that guy that everybody acts like, you know, when the game's on the line, they want the ball. 3-2-1, they're putting that ball up. And he's like, and nine times out of ten, you know, that guy's not hitting that shot. Yeah. But there are certain guys, Reggie Miller had it, there are certain guys that, that they're like, no, like, I want this situation. I crave this situation. And then there are other guys that just their stoic nature – is the same at the end of games as it is in the beginning of games. And that's Benedict Mather. Like he, he has a focus and a determination about him where he looks very confident, but it doesn't waver or cross over into a foolish arrogance or cockiness. And I just think that he is a guy, Alex, that is wired towards loving the competition of it and being very confident that he is the guy that is going to win that competition. And his inability to get rattled as a young player to me, was a really important first step because that's that. I think for a lot of guys, that's the most challenging thing about the NBA is suddenly like getting caught up in the moment. He's not going to get caught up in the moment. So I just think he has a bravado about him that is what you look for, and a tenacity about him uh, that's a, that is a determination, but also kind of an unwavered confidence. And that's a great point. I think that's awesome that you were really monitoring how he was acting during those moments instead of it's easy to watch him on the court, but to kind of see how he's not in the huddle or in the huddle and how he's acting and how he's responding to things. That's really important. What do you think about his relationship? Not relationship, but I guess you could say on court chemistry with Tyrese Halliburton, those two together, because Tyrese is the guy, but there could be a case made that in four to five years, Ben could be the alpha of this team. If he does hit on everything that people expect him to. Well, I think it's a really good question. And I think it's one that, that, that we don't know the quantity, you know, the answer just yet. Right. So far, so good. But the NBA, as you know, man, it's fickle, right? You'd never know when a guy all of a sudden, probably a lot of that, Alex, is going to come down to when Benedict Matherin's contract is up. Let's just say for the sake of argument that Matherin and, and Halliburton both stay healthy and that they continue to progress here within the franchise. You know, Halliburton's getting his, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he already has signed to the Supermax so, or the Max deal. So in Matherin's case a lot of that may be determined on where things stand from a contractual standpoint. I mean, if Matherin looks at it and goes, wait a minute, like my contract's coming up now and and they're offering me, you know, 80% of what Halliburton's making or whatever else, or clearly a secondary financial role, does that create a desire to go elsewhere and, you know, and get respected and, you know, what you hear players say? It, it could. I, I, I don't know Benedict Matherin well enough to know whether or not that's where it would go. But that's where things – everything is all peachy keen until it comes down to money, right? And then when it right. starts coming down to money is when – and I don't just mean basketball players. I just mean in life in general. Um, you know, I go back to – and I know I'm old, and I'm going way back in the Wayback Machine. But I can remember when they had Chuck Person, and Chuck Person was really the guy. And they drafted Reggie Miller a year later, 
you know, and so they draft person in 86, they draft Miller in 87, and then Smith's in 88. But the first year there when they went to the playoffs and they went to Boston, it was Chuck Person's team. I mean, he was the guy. He was the straw mixing the drink, and Reggie Miller was on the up and up. Now, obviously, I think they figured out that they were going to have to build around one of those two guys, and which one was it going to be? And they made the determination it was Reggie Miller. They made the right determination, and they parlayed Chuck Person, you know, into picks. I think it might have been Michael Williams they got for him because they needed a point guard, um, and they were really desperate for one. But my point being, they were able to determine which of those two was the one that they needed to stick with if they couldn't play together. And it was a different era and a different style then. So they kind of bled over each other's areas in terms of the way that they played or what they played even though person was more of a small forward, Reggie's shooting guard, et cetera. But, but my long-winded point being, they made the right decision at that time and, and built around Reggie Miller, but it was not until like year three or four of Reggie Miller that they were able to be able to determine that. So that gives them some time flexibility to find out whether or not it's Halliburton and Matherin are the two guys you build around, or you have to pick one of the two and flip the other into assets. My gut tells me in today's NBA – because players are smart enough to know that you need a running mate. Every team, I mean, you know, if LeBron James needs running mates, then anybody does, right? So I think players now are smart enough to know that, and that probably helps to facilitate where you can go long-term with both of them together. Yeah, and that's kind of how I feel too, because they both complement each other so well with what they do in terms of skill set-wise. Defensively, they both have a lot of work to do, but I think offensively, Tyrese is definitely the playmaker where – Ben's kind of put the ball in his hands. He can get you a basket where I think Tyrese can do that, but he's pass first and that's how he's kind of always played basketball. And I think he took a step forward last year and kind of being more score first mentality instead of pass first mentality. But if he knows he has, like you said, a running mate in Ben Matherin right there next to him that can, you know, slice defenses and and get to the free throw line. I mean, that's going to be something that's really beneficial. And I think that could be a really fun backcourt duo for a long time, but at the end of the day, it's going to, I'll just determine on how Matherin handles more responsibility over the next couple of years as being a starter, what he can do to grow defensively. I'm not, I'm not really worried about the offensive game. I think if he can just be a little bit more consistent as a shooter, then you're going to really feel like, okay, he's good offensively. But I feel like defensively during the first two preseason games, you've seen like he's put a little bit more effort into it, I would say, but at times he gets ball, he gets caught ball watching a lot and loses his man and just isn't as I I think determined defensively as he should be. And if he can take that step into being a really good two-way player, I I think sky's the limit for him. I do think Matherin has the physicality to be a really good defender. A lot of defense is mentality, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, He does have the quickness and the body strength to be a really good defender, but he probably, you know, a lot of guys, Alex in the NBA aren't great defenders oftentimes because they've never had to be. You know, if you're a guy, I mean, as I've said a million times, the thing about the NBA to me that's the most fascinating is virtually every player on the floor that you see is the is not only the, the, the guy that was the best player of their high school team, more often than not, they're the best player in the history of their high school, right? So they were scorers first. And if you're putting up 35 a game in high school, you're like, what do I care if my guy gets 18? I'm putting up 35. So the defense does lag a little bit. It's not, it's not bred inside of you. And sometimes defense is a mentality that has to be instilled deep inside of you, and it doesn't happen overnight. So I think Mather knows that. I think they've worked with him on that. And I think he has the body. It's, you know, 
you can kind of teach the mentality. You can't teach body, right? And so he does have – that's the one good thing is from a physical standpoint, he absolutely has what what one would think he needs. Mm, and that's that's a great point too. I think it's going to be fun to see him grow, and I think people just need to be patient with it because there's going to be ups and downs for sure. He's a young player, but I, I don't think that there's all this pressure on him to be the greatest player because they do have a guy in Tyrese who can make so many others around him better. And you, br- you bring back Miles Turner on the two-year extension that they gave him. I really felt like Miles turned the corner last year and proved that he can be a, a quality starting center, averaging 18 points oh, a game, that, yeah. and, and really just solidified himself as a really good fit with Tyrese Halliburton and what this team wants to do. So in terms of Miles' growth and how he handled everything last year, how do you think these next two years on that contract play out for him? Uh, I think actually last year was really big because not only did he kind of turn a corner, I think, but I also think that he was able to kind of reinvent or settle back down a little bit offensively because of what Halliburton was bringing is just in terms of, I think one of the things that Miles Turner heard, which was really important was Kevin Pritchard said to him, like, look, we don't want you not taking threes. You don't necessarily need to be camped out at the three point line, but if you can facilitate transition and then be the back end of that. And if something's not open for an immediate basket in the transition, we kick it back out. You know, I, I think, Turner doesn't have to be shooting every other possession a long-range shot. Turner, I think, just has to know that that is possible for him, and then he's he's comfortable and he's happy, right? I thought last year he 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 really had a good year uh, defensively, in particular. I think he he I mean, honestly, I thought his transition, his rim protection was really strong. Um, it was a huge asset for them. So. I think he plays out the contract at a high level. I don't think he's going to be, you know, a guy that sulks or a guy that, that wants, you know, even another extension early, that kind of thing. I think they've gotten past that. And I think now we're into uh, the true, like, marriage years of Miles Turner. You think there's another step that he can take, though, in, in terms of what he can do? That's a really good question. I, and, and I don't mean to be negative, Nancy, and I hope I'm wrong here, and it's – I think where he is is really good. So, so you know, any player can always take another step, right? But it does feel, Alex, and you tell me if you disagree here, it, it kind of feels like if there was, we would have seen it by now, right? Mm. Um, maybe just in terms of consistency. I mean, you know, there were there were nights where he was a major presence on the floor and then other nights where you're like, wait a minute, did Turner play tonight? So I guess consistency would be one of them. But, you know, he's been in the league a while now. So I think you, you pretty much know what you're getting. Um, so I guess I'd like to say, do I think it's there? Maybe, but I will, if you put truth serum in me, I would say the odds are that perhaps, you know, it comes down to if it was there, we would have seen, we, we would have seen that level by now. And I think he's a really good player. I think he's a really good player. But if there was a net, but I think he's probably closer to ceiling than he is next step. Yeah, it's it's tough because he's entering his ninth year, right? We've seen eight years of miles already. There's been some ups and downs with injuries, but last year stayed healthy, had his first offseason where he was actually healthy. And then you think about it, he's only 27 years old. So he still is kind of entering into his prime. Amazing. And he he could I think he could take a step forward still. I don't think that he's maybe reached his ceiling completely, but I do wonder if there are too many mouths to feed and he won't get as many looks as he got last year because you bring in an Obi Toppin, you put Ben in the starting lineup. How does that change how he's utilized? Are there going to be more guys that want the ball in their hands where he might not be 
that kind of secondary guy next to Tyrese because, yeah, Buddy was a, a scorer last year, but with Neesmith and Nimhard, they really weren't doing much more offensively where I think Toppin, Bruce Brown, and Ben Mathern are going to be looking to kind of be more creators. So that does weigh a little bit on me in terms of thinking number-wise what he could be, but when he was on this podcast, he said he wanted to be a 50-40-90 guy, and I thought that's a pretty big challenge for a guy that's not really been there yet, but – right. If he's got high hopes and he believes in himself that much, I feel like I would almost be foolish to say that he's reached his ceiling only because I thought he had a couple of years ago and then last year he did what he did. So I don't want to write him off just yet. Yeah, I think in terms of his offense, I think the thing that Turner last year, and, and you know, Rick Carlisle probably would disagree with me here, and you know, he would know better than I. But it feels like last year what Turner did really well was he was able to give them points at times where schematically you weren't having to go through him to get those. In other words, you know, they weren't necessarily designing the same level of frequency of Turner being the epicenter or the focus of their offense. But what he showed was if the ball rotates over to him, if the play resets and it, it gets into his hands where they need scoring, he is certainly capable of that. But I don't know that they were designing the same number of plays within their offense for him as they were previously. Yeah, and that's a good point. He did definitely – I think he just had better looks last year based on Tyrese's ability to get him open, and then having a, a true point guard makes a heck of a lot of difference. And being the solo big, I mean, it's just – you kind of make math. It's really simple. I, I just felt like you don't have another big out there. You have a pass-first point guard. unlike a guy like Brogdon who – I think he kind of served his role here pretty well. I don't think he was as bad as people put out uh, that Brogdon was, but – I do think that Halliburton is just a totally different player, and it really does help the offense overall at the style they want to play. But um, I do want to kind of transition here now to the two guys that they got during the offseason in terms of acquisitions. They signed Bruce Brown to the two-year deal with the team option for the second year, and they also trade two second-round picks for Obi Toppin. Both guys look like they're going to be starters for this team. So I'll let you pick which one you want to start with, but are there any? Are, out of those two, does one intrigue you more than the other? Probably Toppin. I, I think, you know, Obi Toppin, the athleticism alone, I feel like Obi Toppin, I know this is probably wrong, but this is how I feel. It feels like Obi Toppin, they went out and got because they wanted to, because he is where they thought Isaiah Jackson would be at this point, mm. which is interesting because Toppin in New York was, you know, I think they look at Toppin and they go, okay, in New York, he didn't get the total number of opportunities necessary to find out exactly who he is. And at the same time with Jackson, I think you think, okay, he's gotten the same number of, of opportunities or he's got the number of opportunities we thought he'd get. We just maybe don't think at this point he's the player we thought he was. Because Jackson's – what Jackson does well, he does really well, but he hasn't really expanded upon that. Toppin, I think they're looking at as somebody who, yeah, you know, he's going to do lob city and he's going to play above the rim. But I do think that from a defensive standpoint and transition standpoint, they're optimistic about what he can bring maybe to a little bit higher level than what you got in Jackson. So that that part of his game and whether or not he, you know, I look back to, I remember when the, and again, I, I hate to always, you know, reference like the far back. <laughs> but I remember when they got Ike Diagu. And Ike Diago was a guy that was like, listen, this guy can play. He was a great player in college. He just kind of got buried, and so he wasn't able to, to really get good minutes. And then he comes here, and 
you're thinking, okay, now he's going to get opportunities and we're going to, you know, he's really going to open up his game. And he really was kind of the player that, that he had been previously. And so it's like, yeah, okay, maybe that wasn't the case. So is that topping? Is topping going to get here and you're going to go, yeah. Another one that comes to mind, uh, Chris Copeland. You know, Chris yeah. Copeland in New York, when he came here, there were big expectations. And then it's like, yeah, maybe his ceiling was what we saw out of him in New York. So, so that'll be, I'm curious to see how that works. Bruce Brown, I think the thing about Bruce Brown that's intriguing is the Pacers brass would tell you. They know they probably overpaid a little bit for Bruce Brown, but Bruce Brown has a value to Indiana that is higher than what he would bring to a lot of other teams because he does well what they need to improve in, and by that I mean defense notably. And I do think that, and this is always the case, you win a title, people come and pluck your players because they want guys in their locker room that know how to let other guys know what it means and what it takes to win a title. And that's, and I think those are really important and critical aspects of Bruce Brown. Yeah, and those are great points about Bruce because I think with Bruce, they had the, they had the money to go out there and get someone like that. The free agent market was not great. They already had a pretty crowded backcourt anyway so adding someone like that does did make it more crowded you talked about their depth earlier on but at the same time i think that all other all the other 29 teams in the league would have wanted bruce brown on yeah. their roster so that does make you feel good about it it's not like this is a guy that yeah there's their, a place for him anywhere right just yes. depending on how much you're going to give him yeah and and a lot of teams are willing to give their full mid levels for him too they just the pacers outbid them because they had the money to do it and i think like you said at the end of the day money always talks so it's always a determining factor. And, and Bruce is getting more money, I think, this year than he's collected in his entire career right. as an NBA player. So, I mean, that's a great way to get that money is just go to the team that's got it for you. And team option next year, he could be back with the team. He could be used as a trade piece. So there's a lot of different ways they could utilize Bruce Brown as not just a player on the court, but as an asset. But I think he's going to help this team. And I do agree with Obi Toppin. It's, it's one of those things where it's an intriguing pickup. I think that if he hits on everything, you're really excited about where you're going with this right. team because player of the year in college, eighth overall pick. But you also have a guy in Jairus Walker who they drafted, have a lot more invested in in terms of long-term uh, hopes for what he can become. There's a lot of rumors this offseason about Pascal Siakam and the Pacers were attached to it. When you when you see Obi Top in the first two preseason games, I understand no Tyrese Halliburton you do understand like how much of a drop-off there is from Pascal to Obi. Obi is a big drop-off in terms of overall talent. So I think that if a, an opportunity presented itself to upgrade at the power four position still, that you you kind of have to maybe push that experiment of an Obi top into the side. But I'm still intrigued by him. I just think defensively he's going to really have to take a step forward if he's going to be a long-term answer there for them at the power forward spot. Yeah, I mean, and, and Alex, the reality is it may be – 25 to 30 games before we even know or have yeah. a glimpse. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to take a while before you really know those answers probably. Mm. And, I mean, I go back to last year when we traded for Aaron Neesmith. I didn't have any high expectations for him. He was coming off the bench as the back of three, and he was not shooting the ball well at all. The first 20 games of the season, I thought, you know, I think he had a breakout game against Orlando, and I thought, okay, it's the magic. You know, they're not a good basketball team. How much right. do I read into this? And then all of a sudden, when they decided to start Aaron Neesmith instead of Jalen Smith, things really started to change. And I felt like, okay, now we have a better understanding of who he is. And maybe he was playing a little out of position. So it, do, it does take time for them to get accustomed to, to the system that they're playing in, but also just trying to find the right fit and who is the right combination of players to go with that, with that player. I'm a big fan of Aaron Neesmith, by the way. Yeah. Same I'm here. Uh, knows his role, 
goes in at this point, doesn't require a lot of massaging. It doesn't appear, um, you know, has been a dynamic score throughout the course of his career up until this point. And by that, I mean high school and collegiately and just does what they ask, right? You need me to reverse the ball, I'll reverse the ball. You need me to hit an open shot, I'll do that. You need me to be a really good defender, I'll do that. I love guys that that just go in, know their role, do it, wait for their number, and when it's called, they're ready to play. Love it. Yeah, I think that he talked about playing the three more this year um, at Media Day, said that, no, they want to utilize him more as a three. I'm kind of curious to see how that all plays out. But he's a player that I think is going to be important for this team, especially when they come when it comes to playoff time, because – I still feel like, and I said this in one of our recent podcasts, but I feel like if you're looking at a closing lineup, the closing five, I might trust him the most out of any of the fours that we have on this team to close the close out as the the closing four with him, Nimhard, Bruce Brown, Tyrese, and 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 Miles, or maybe you throw uh, Benedict in there as well. But I just feel like him at the four makes a ton of sense to me because of how well he did it last year and the switchability that he has defensively. You know, the other option, the, the, the other thing about the Pacers this year that I think is good and is an upgrade from a year ago, um, you know, Neesmith can guard, Nimhard's an underrated defender, and then, you know, the addition of Bruce Brown and Ben Shepard. You know, I don't know how much Ben Shepard's going to play this year, mm-hmm. but he is a guy that that in, in spot minutes, I think, can go in and give you some pretty good defense as well. So they have a long way to go still, but they at least now have some, some guys, especially on the wing. I don't know that they, they're still lacking a true wing defender, so to speak, but by committee, it seems as though they do have some guys that give them some depth that they can throw at people defensively. Yeah. And, and I think Ben Shepard has really kind of not exceeded expectations, but he really did impress during the first two preseason games, how, how poised he was. It was just, I think Quinn Buckner said he has a great demeanor about him. And I totally agree with that. When he went in the game, he knocked his uh, first two threes down that he took in both the games. And defensively doesn't really get kind of out of place where you're talking about a guy in year three, Isaiah Jackson picked up 14 fouls in the summer league over two games. I mean, still a guy that got in foul trouble against the Rockets as well, ended up finishing with five fouls, but when he ended up going out of the game and Jalen Smith came in, it seemed like Jalen had a little bit more, I would say, a successful. He had a more successful game for sure that game against the Rockets, but I felt like Jalen was a little bit more under control. Didn't seem like he was getting himself in, in bad spots where Isaiah can do that at times. Put Bad spots is a good way of putting it. I think Jalen Smith has a little bit better understanding right now of what his limitations are, if there are those, yeah. and, and sticking to his operating area is probably better than most. Yeah, so I, I want to wrap things up here because I appreciate you taking the time. I know you've been talking a lot today about sports in general because no you do it every day. But if you look at this Pacers team, what do you think real, realistic expectations are for them in terms of maybe a seed or where you think they could finish it at the end of the year? I think what you want is to get into the postseason and not necessarily, and to get in on your own merit as opposed to like one of the play-in series, right? Mm-hmm. So I think realistically, Alex, I mean, I'm trying to think, what did they win last year? Was it 38 last year? 35 games last year. 35. So so I think, you know, 42. Mm-hmm. I mean, right there, you know, trying to be right above 500 and get yourself like it, and that would probably get you an eight somewhere in there. I do think that playing a series and being able to to see what goes into a playoff series where the game ramps up just a little bit should be the goal this year. Uh, you know, I know that that's kind of re that's moving the goalpost again because this time a year ago we were saying like, hey, this is a two or three year project. Well, they accelerated, and it's to their credit that they probably were ahead of schedule, but that also creates and raises expectations that were expectations to be fair 
that they are the ones that created. But I think, you know, a five to eight game improvement would be a fair thought. So 40 to 43, you'd like to be right over 500. And getting into the playoffs and getting into a series where you're playing legitimately, you know, as, as a seeded team should be the goal this year. Then you take that experience, you add a few pieces with some of the, the assets they have, you build on that and you work your way then from, you know, being in the 7-8 range to being up into the 4-5 range. And then, of course, hoping that a year after that, you're right back to where you were, like in the Paul George, George Hill, David West era. Yeah, and that's what I was actually thinking about when you said just getting in there as like a 7-8 seed. I think that the Pacers, when Paul George was a rookie, when Vogel took over for Jim O'Brien, getting into that series against the Bulls, I think they got swept. Or maybe they – I think they actually – maybe they maybe they didn't get swept. I can't. It might have been a five-game series. But regardless, they were no match for Chicago. They were the one seed. Derrick Rose is MVP, right? But just getting in that and uh, getting that experience and being able to get a taste of what the playoffs were like – brought them back hungrier, and then we saw them have that playoff success. So I think that for young guys like Halliburton, Matherin, uh, Jairus Walker, all the young guys that haven't really had playoff experience, you want them to get a taste of it so they can just continue to get more hungry for deep playoff runs and and just realize like it's a totally different level than just an 82-game season. I mean, it's fun. I think it'll be a fun year. The elevator's going up, right? I mean, it does yeah. feel like they're headed in the right direction. There's optimism. There are young, intriguing players like you talked about. Um, you know, so we'll see what happens. I mean, health is another big thing. You know, you got to hope you stay healthy, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Gosh, I hope nobody gets hurt now and I jinx something. But um, it should be fun to talk about. And I look forward to being at the games and seeing people out there and uh, having people come up and say hi and eating a ton of gummy bears and watching the Pacers, <laughs> which is, I, I got to cut down on the gummy bears, but um, I got to have something to do while I'm watching the game, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I guess my last last question for you is you had Chad Buchanan in with you guys in the studio. Any any takeaways from any vibes you were getting from anything that you took away from that conversation that maybe thought it was like a, worth sharing? Yeah, I, one of them is I think that he – it was interesting. He, he was very high on Ben Shepard, but he also kind of backed it up and then to say, I don't know how much – you know, how many reps he'll get this year. I mean, I think they were realistic about where Shepard – would be in terms of the minutes themselves. Um, the Buddy Heald situation, which we haven't even talked about, um, is one also that I do think they would like to see Buddy Heald here. I think they'd like to extend him, and I think they are aware of the fact that other teams are probably going to covet Buddy Heald's shooting ability. But Indiana knows, and I think they hope Buddy Heald recognizes, that it would probably be like a front-loaded contract because, you know, again, Buddy Heald had, has merited and worked and played himself into – getting a good contract for certain. But at the same time, when you look at the players in that left-hand lane that are coming in the rearview mirror for him at the at the same spots on the floor or, you know, even the same salary areas, you know, between Mather and, and then, of course, as we talked about with Nimhard, you know, these guys aren't shooting guards per se, but they're backboard and wing-level players. And, you know, Buddy Heald is probably – the assumption would be that that is going to drop probably after year three – of whatever contract he would excite just based on age. And there are other guys right then that are ready to, to, to take over. So I got the impression from Chad Buchanan, they're well aware of Buddy Hill's desire to get paid. They feel he merits getting paid, but I think they'd like to do it in a way that is friendly for them, that allows them to not be handcuffed financially by paying him three years from now, when at that point you're starting to look at the exit plan as opposed to the prime. That's 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 a great way of saying it. And I think that Buddy Hill also just has to bet on himself a little bit too. Yeah. Because 
I think free agency has gone down quite a bit in terms of guys that actually enter free agency. So he could end up being a top 10 free agent if he waits it out and a team could overpay for him. Well, we've seen that happen a lot of times with, for example, Bruce Brown getting overpaid by the Pacers. Is there a team out there like that next year that has that cap space that says, we'll give you 25 for this year and whatever next year, you know, he's a shooter, lights out shooter, could be a starting shooting guard in the league. Not saying he's worth that, but there could be a team that values what he brings. Absolutely. You could see him going to like a Houston or an Orlando or, you know, one of those teams that's got to hit. Well, I mean, I don't know their cap situations, but a team that has some, some, some room, they want to sell some tickets. They want to get, I mean, Buddy Heald could be the proverbial, my, my favorite quote, that you know, 2025 guy, a guy scoring 20 a game on a 25-win team. That could be yeah. Buddy Hill for sure. Yeah. But I do think that he knows that he also could be a 15-point-per-game scorer on a team that is on the rise and, you know, could theoretically in the next year or two really start to make some noise in the conference. Mm-hmm. No, and that's a great point. So, Jake, I've kept you too long. I want to thank you for your time. Uh, you didn't keep me too long. I appreciate it. All right, man. Well, it was a great conversation. We'll have to do it again as the season goes on and kind of get your thoughts on what's going on. Check back in with you. But guys, if you're not already following Jake on social media, make sure you do that. Always interesting conversations there and then on the show as well. Querying Company 107.5 The Fan. Jake, thanks so much for coming on. We'll do it again soon. All right, Alex. We'll get you in the company soon. All right, man. Thanks, brother. All right, everybody, that does it for another episode here of Setting the Pace. You can find me on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA and on Instagram at AlexGoldenNBA. Fachi is on Twitter and Instagram at underscore F-A-C-C-I and our podcast on Twitter and Instagram at PacersPodSTP. So make sure you guys hit all those follow buttons there. Facebook, TikTok at Setting the Pace. And of course, we are on YouTube at YouTube.com slash Setting the Pace of Pacers Podcast. We hope you all have a great rest of your week. Enjoy Fan Jam. Enjoy the next two preseason games. We'll be back with Fachi on Sunday night. But if you're excited for the Pacers to be back in action at home in Gamebridge Fieldhouse, then hit me with those three words. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We